0: God has been good, amen? And he is faithful. Today, uh, my message that I want to share with you is called, All is Calm, Finding Rest in Jesus. Regardless of when people start putting up their lights, regardless of when Walmart decides to roll out their Christmas trees, which is like right in the middle of Halloween, um, Walmart decides Let's. this is a good time to decorate for Christmas. And regardless of, of when people in your neighborhood began to uh, uh, decorate or shop or when you did, uh, the Christmas season for most people officially kicks off on the day after Thanksgiving, right? That's just the traditional kind of day. The family is all gathered together a lot of times, and so... You begin to decorate for Christmas on that day. Thanksgiving is a day we sit around and we, we uh, at our tables, we list, hopefully, the things that we are incredibly thankful for. We're, we're thankful for the people in our lives, our family. We're thankful for maybe the job we have or, or the job we no longer have to go to if we're retired or whatever the case may be for, for you. Um, and then we we are so grateful for all the things God has done for us, and we go to bed that night, and we wake up the next morning. Some of some people, some of you, may set your alarm. Some people camp out outside of Best Buy because they want to experience the other holiday associated with Thanksgiving, Black Friday and and it's the one day uh, of the year when rational people physically and willingly trample over others to get the greatest deals they possibly can i know i don't need this 89 inch tv but it's on sale honey it's only 8 dollars We, we get packages at our house quite frequently, and, and they almost always have my name on them. Um, I'm a bit of an impulse buyer. The impulse aisle was literally designed for me because I'm like, I don't need that, but it looks so interesting. Just put it in your purse, you know, put, not put it in your purse, put it in your basket. <laughs> <laughs> That will be a whole different problem for Pastor Jason. No, Pastor Jason does not shoplift. Put it in your basket. Put it in your basket. But Christmas can be a very chaotic time of year. We we begin begin thinking about Christmas presents and Christmas decorations right around Thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving. And Christmas can turn into chaos for us. Parties. Parties some of which we don't even want to go to, but we're guilted into attending. You know, your boss is throwing a Christmas party, and so you really want that promotion, so you really need to go, but you really don't want to go because you don't like any of those people that you work with. And it always gets awkward. There's the shopping that becomes chaotic. Angela went uh, shopping yesterday with her mother. I was... Uh, on the road uh, driving, and and so Angela uh, picked up her mom, and they went to several different malls. And so one of the malls um, that she went to, the the weekend before Christmas, okay, one of the malls she went to, she found some really cute pajamas or something for the boys, and she was going to get them. And uh, so she she was like, you know, it's no big deal. I'll just get in line. And, And she said there had to be about 100 to 150 people in line ahead of her. And she thought, you know what, they don't need clothes that bad. That's okay. We'll just, you know, we'll just stretch out their current clothes. I'm just kidding. And <clears throat> just she grabs one end, I grab the other, and we just pull real tight. It's, you know, shopping can be chaos. Decorating, the, the lights that worked last Christmas, I hung them, I tested them, I plugged them up, they all worked, and then I put them on our house and and decorated the house, and I had that moment, you know, the moment of truth. I checked the lights, and you plug it up, and only half of them are working. And I've, I have decorated. It took me hours, and of course, because I decorated in November, it was probably 84 degrees outside. So I'm covered in sweat, and I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I don't care. I don't really care that bad. It's going to look like Morse code from the air. We'll see if our neighbors can figure it out. Dot, dash, dot, dot, dash, you know, all this stuff. So we've got parties, and we've got shopping, and we've got decorating, and then we've got the eating. We've got the eating. The things that are only made during Christmas, divinity, is well named, because I love it. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And most people only make it this time of year. Tamales. What's the deal with tamales only being made at Christmas? They're delicious all year round, people. You can make them all year round. And I encourage you to do so. But we party too much. We shop too much. We decorate. We eat too much. And we want to spend Christmas with our friends and our family and uh, sometimes we don't have money to get presents for everybody in our family. And so that can create stress in our lives. Kids want to see Santa. They want to go see the lights on the way here. Some people still have their Christmas lights on at, at 8 o'clock this morning. Of course, we did too. Uh, it's just because I'm too lazy to unplug it every day. Um, so they were still on at 8 o'clock this morning. And Samuel sees it and he said, like, Christmas! And he's two and a half, and, of course, he wants to see the lights. And so there's a bit of chaos uh, going on. It can be stressful. You know, every, when I was a kid, every Santa was Santa. And so every store had a Santa. And every time I, as a boy, saw Santa, I wanted to sit on Santa's lap and tell him what I wanted for Christmas in case he was the real Santa. And, I mean, I had already sat on three Santa's laps the same day. It, would, it exhausted my parents. And so uh, kids want to open presents early, especially if you're going on a trip or going out of town. Can we open presents early? No. No. We're like, okay, you can open one early. But you don't want to take all the presents with you and then open them and stuff. And so, you know, sometimes we, we, we have to make all these decisions and deal with all this stuff around Christmas. And sometimes Christmas doesn't feel very restful. It doesn't feel very enjoyable. And it can be very overwhelming. Even more so for those who may have lost a loved one near the holidays and they experience their first Christmas without a loved one. It can be painful. It can be frustrating. It can be expensive. It can be incredibly stressful. Christmas can be difficult to enjoy because of all the negative things we may associate with it. But today I want you to accept the invitation to rest this Christmas, rest in the reality of Jesus's birth and what his birth, what God in the flesh means to each one of us. And if we're going to do that effectively, we have to look at God's word and learn the lessons God taught his people throughout history about understanding rest. So let's look at a couple lessons in resting. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, read with us up on the screen. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first lesson we need to learn in resting is this. Rest is commanded by God. If you have your bulletin, there's a little insert you can fill that in. Rest is commanded by God. If God created the world, the entire world, in six days and then rested, you can too. It's a day off from work. It's a day when you don't do laundry. It's a day when you don't do chores. You don't mow the lawn. You don't log in remotely for work. I'm just going to check my email. No, it's a day when you don't check your email. You don't respond to emails over the weekend to get ahead of Monday or on Monday's work. It's one day every week where your body and your mind are on vacation. And for most Christians, we celebrate that on Sunday. A day of rest in God's presence, a day of resting in God's love, And a day to worship God. It's a day for napping. Not now, not right now, but later, it's a day for napping. Trust me, all of you nappers, I know who you are. I see you even though you don't see me because your eyes are closed. But it's a day for napping, it's a day for relaxing, it's a day for resting mentally and physically. For the Jewish people, they observe the Sabbath day from Friday night to Saturday night. So it's a 24-hour period where they rest, and they rigidly observe the Sabbath. Uh, Orthodox Jews, who are very strict in their adherence to the Word of God, they will prepare all the meals for the Sabbath ahead of time. Because everybody gets to rest. It's not everybody except mom. It's everybody. Moms, you deserve a day of rest. You can elbow your spouse. I deserve a day of rest. Do your own laundry. We used to have in our family a day, uh, there were some days, I don't know if, if my mother had just exhausted her mental capacity to come up with a meal that day of the week, but, but it was called every man for himself. And in our family, and obviously you can't do this with a a two-and-a-half-year-old. I'm sorry, kid, you're on your own. (laughs) Figure it out. Here's a can of soup and a can opener. Work out the problems. I'm on vacation today. You can't do that. But we would have days where it was every man for himself, and so you would make your own meal, make a sandwich, have some soup or whatever. Whatever you could come up with, you were responsible for not only cooking your own meal but also cleaning up after yourself. That way nobody had to do dishes. You took care of your own. And so they will, celebrate, they, will, they will prepare ahead of time. They'll cook on Friday for all of the, and prepare on Friday all of the meals and all the food they will need necessary for that 24-hour period because they do not turn on the stove. They don't turn on the oven. They don't cook. They don't use the microwave. They pull it out of the fridge, unwrap it, and start eating it. And that way, everybody in the home gets a day of rest. When you don't take a day of rest, think about this for a second. If you don't take a day of rest, that's the equivalent every week, that's the equivalent to taking 52, not taking 52 vacation days a year. Just imagine your company worked you, and and, and as you're working for this company, they gave you one day off every week and told you, we expect you to take this day off. And and the vast majority of us would think it would be ridiculous for us not to take that. They're paying us to take it. They're providing everything we need in order to take this day off. And we get 52 vacation days every single year. And, And it would be crazy for us not to utilize those vacation days. But we do the very same thing with God. We work on, the, on our day off. We work on our Sabbath day, whatever day that may be. Some people work on Saturday, and they can't take that day off. Um, I work on Sunday, so I don't take that day off. I take a different day off as my Sabbath day. But we do the, that very thing with the Lord. God sustains us seven days a week, and then he gives us a free day of rest, and sometimes we still cram work into it. God's command is clear. Stop your activity and rest. That's the whole point of creating and commanding his people to observe the Sabbath day. Take a day and rest. God did not rest because he was tired. God did not rest because he was exhausted from creating the universe. It was not work for him. He spoke the universe into existence and it was there. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested to be a model for us. Get your work done, get your chores done, but then rest and realize that God loves you not for what you produce, but because you are his child that he loves. I love my kids not for the money they bring to the family because they don't bring any. Some of them are old enough to work, and they're not bringing any money into the family. So I don't love them because of what they contribute. I don't love them only because of what they produce. I love them because they're mine. And they can rest in my love securely because they know they're not loved for anything they do for me or any contribution they make for the family. They're loved because they're my children. I may not always like the decisions they make, but I will always love them. And they can rest in that. And so that's what you need to do. Rest is commanded by God. Rest in his love. Psalm 4610, a well-known verse of Scripture. Uh, we've heard many times before it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This phrase, be still, is very, you know, again, sometimes you'll go to a Christian bookstore and you may see be still and know that I am God inscribed on a plaque or, or on a decoration or something. And it's a good reminder. Be still. In this verse, it, it, it means relax. Relax and know that I am God. Sit, sink down. Let go. Withdraw. Leave it alone. Be quiet and know that I am God. In the Septuagint version, which is the, um, it's a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that's the translation that Jesus quoted uh, in the New Testament. When he's quoting the Old Testament, he would quote the Septuagint version. It says, cease striving. Cease striving. Stop your labor or take a holiday and know that I'm God. Unplug and realize that he'll handle this. He'll take care of it. It's a day where when when we take our rest, when we take time to rest, we unplug from all the things that are going on around us and outside of our walls and outside of our home and at the office. Uh, Man, the office is in full meltdown mode. Well, you know what? They existed before you worked there. And they'll probably exist after you're gone. And so the second thing we need to understand, our second lesson in resting is God is in control so you don't have to be. God is in control, so you don't have to be. I hate flying. It stresses me out so much. It stresses me out so much that the last time Angela and I had to get on a plane, I went to my doctor ahead of time and asked for medication. And he gave me some medication, a couple pills, and he said, take this, Uh, 30 minutes before you get on the plane, you'll be fine. I took, so first, I'd never taken it before, so he said, just take half a pill. So I took half a pill 30 minutes before I got on the plane. And when I'm on the plane, I'm suddenly very aware that nothing is working. It is not working. I'm not any calmer. And now I'm irritated that my, my trip to the doctor and the medication he gave me is not working. But I don't want to overdo it. What if it kicks on real? You know, what? what if it kicks in real quickly? And and uh, so I'm like, how long do I wait? Now I'm paranoid. I was anxious. Now I'm paranoid. How long do I wait? You know, when is this going to kick in? What is it, What is it going to happen? Am I going to like pass out and fall asleep? And uh, for me, I I get that that flying gets me places faster, and statistically. It is safer than driving in that plane crashes happen more, uh, less frequently than car crashes. However, plane crashes, you don't always walk away from a plane crash. And I've been in plenty of car wrecks, and I've walked away from every one of them. 100%, effect, you know, 100% success rate with, with car wrecks, not so much with plane wrecks. And so I, I, I understand that statistically planes are safer, blah, 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 but I still hate it. And I think my frustration about flying is really a, a, an issue with me not being able to be con- in control. Now, I'm not a control freak. Um, but when it comes to life or death situations, I'd rather be in the loop. I, I don't necessarily have to be at the wheel, but I want to be in the front. I want to know what's going on. Because I have stuff to live for. I have a wife. I've got kids. They depend on me. So I'm very unnerved at putting someone else in charge of my life and my safety. I don't know the mental or or emotional or physical state of that pilot. I don't know about his marriage. I've asked them before and they don't they won't tell you anything. I don't know the state of his finances. I don't know if he's had anything to drink today or if he's done any drugs that I need to be aware of. I don't know if he's homicidal. I don't know if he's suicidal. I've never met the pilot. And I would probably feel much better and much safer if they would let me sit up front with them so I can know what's going on. Uh, I don't need to be in control, but I definitely want to be in the loop. When we take a sharp banking turn and we're not heading towards the city we're supposed to be going towards... I'd like to know why. <clears throat> we need to remember that God is in control of our lives, so we don't have to be. And because of that, we can find rest. We can let go of a lot of things that are worrying us, a lot of things that are frustrating us, and cause us to be afraid. And I understand the irony of this because I have a big issue with pilots. And yet God gives me even less information. God says, just trust me. And, and all of us, we'd like to say, I absolutely trust you, but what are you doing? I absolutely trust you, but, but what is about to happen? So we have to relinquish control of our lives, of our health, of our finances, into God's hands and trust him that he will handle all of those things for our good. Psalm 131, verses 2 through 3, it says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. When my daughter Mackenzie, <clears throat> she was my firstborn, my only girl, and when she was born, I was 24 years old. And I knew absolutely nothing about being a parent. See, when the woman goes to the doctor and when she gets pregnant, they give her a book, what to expect when you're expecting. They don't give dad anything other than a high five. Good job. You're having a baby. They don't tell dads how to do what dads are supposed to do. Dads are just supposed to figure it out. And unfortunately, some dads don't figure it out soon enough. <clears throat> so when, I, uh, when when we had McKinsey, I didn't know how to be a dad. I mean, I wanted to be that was that was a goal for me. I wanted to be a dad. and uh, so then Micah came along when I was 26, and by then I knew a little bit more, okay, this is how you put the diaper on them the right way, you know and and feed them and and regularly change them, and you know keep them clean, keep them dry, keep them. You know, I'll get them to the doctor and, and get them checked up and all this stuff. And so I've, I felt like I was, I was pretty good at this. You know, I didn't kill my first kid, so I felt pretty good about the chances of the second one thus far. Two years later, Joshua arrived when I was 28, and I'm like, man, I got this stuff down. I am good to go. They've all grown together uh, two years apart or so. And yes, I still made mistakes as a father, um, but... Uh, I, I was learning how to be a dad, and so the mistakes I made with Mackenzie, I tried not to make with Micah and, and made even fewer, hopefully, with Joshua. Um, having the twins at age 40 allowed a lot of redeeming moments for me as a parent. I was able to do things. Now, and, and sometimes if you have a child really late in life, you can also almost go into grandparent mode. You can do things for your children, your young children that you would absolutely never have done for your older children. I was, a, I was a no man. The kids would ask, hey, Dad, can we go get snow cones? No. And then I would say, why? We have the money. We have the time. But I was just always in a mode of saying no. And so, you know, the, the, uh, there's a great example is the older kids would say, you know, they would grab the whipped cream and they would hold the, the can of, of whipped cream up to their mouth, and I would, don't you dare do that. I want your lips on that whipped cream. And yet, when, the, when, when I get whipped cream for something like a slice of pie or, or whatever, and the twins are like, ooh, and I'm like, here, kid, let me squirt that in your mouth. Just shoot some whipped cream in your mouth. Things I would never have done for my children, I've now... I've lightened up a little bit. You kind of learn how to major on the majors and not on the minors. And so it's allowed some redeemable moments for me as a parent. And I'm sure Mackenzie, Micah, and Joshua goes, you know, to to the twins, they're probably thinking, you guys have it so good. I would have gotten spanked for that. You just get pointed at and say, if you weren't so cute, I'd spank you. So it's good you're cute. But I learned so much about parenting that I could use those lessons for the twins and not make the same mistakes on them. Now, I'm very time-oriented. I don't know if you know that. You might say, you preach a really long time for being so time-oriented. <clears throat> mm. I am time-oriented. I'm, I'm checking the time. I've actually looked up at the clock multiple times as I'm speaking today already. I want to make sure I'm not running late for something. Uh, Sometimes when I put the twins to bed, I get in a rush because I'm almost always thinking of the next thing I need to do. And sometimes these toddlers that that are two and a half, sometimes they still need to be held. They still need that closeness. They still need to feel wrapped up in a loving parent's arms. And it's easy to walk out of the room and tell them, "Look, you got a clean diaper, clean jammies. We've sung the song, we've uh, I've kissed you goodnight. We've prayed together. I've laid you down. Bing, bang, boom. Lay down and be quiet. And go to sleep." It's really easy to say, "You've got everything you need, so lay down and be quiet," and walk out of the room and let them cry it out. But I've learned that there is probably nothing more important than I could be doing in that moment than holding my child close to my chest and letting them tangibly feel the love that I have for them. This brings me to the third point. It's impossible to rest if you don't trust God. It's impossible to rest if you don't trust God. The twins can sleep and they can rest because they know that Angela and I will take care of all of their needs. They know they will be fed every day, a lot of times during the day. They know they'll get clean clothes. They know they'll get a clean diaper. They know they'll be hugged and they'll be kissed and they won't be ignored. And because they know all that, they trust us to meet all their needs. So when it's time to lay down and rest... They can fall asleep peacefully because they trust mom and dad to handle everything they can't handle. Usually about an hour after they go to sleep, Angela and I will sneak in there and turn on our, our little uh, light on our phone and make sure they're okay and you know, just look at their faces. And They could be monsters when they're awake, but they're angels when they're asleep. Their face relax, and they just look like little baby angels. And sometimes you just want to reach in there and pinch them for all the grief they gave you during the day. But we don't do that <laughs> because you let a sleeping baby sleep. <clears throat> it's impossible to rest if you don't trust God. If you don't trust God to handle all the things in your life that need to be handled, you will never learn to rest in him. As the psalmist said, calm and quiet your soul. He said, Psalm 131, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a child rests by leaning against the chest of their parents, they hear the heartbeat, they trust them, they lean into them. You'll never be able to rest if you don't learn to trust God in everything. You may be facing a situation right now this week, this month, or you know something's coming. You have a doctor's appointment that you're not looking forward to because you have had tests and you are going to see the test results and you already feel like it won't be good. Whatever the situation may be, facing a lawsuit, facing a loss of income, your, your company's already notified you that you're being laid off, or whatever it may be, lean into him. Lean into him. Don't feel like you've got to bear the weight. Don't feel like you've got to be strong. Give yourself permission to be weak. Let him shoulder the burden because his shoulders are much broader and much stronger than ours. Isaiah 30, verse 15. It says, For thus says the Lord, the, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. What a promise from God. In returning and rest you'll be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. We can return to Him. We can find rest in Him. We can find salvation and strength in Him. But God's own people were unwilling. And sometimes we're unwilling also. We look to ourselves for strength. We try to figure out how everything will work out. We make a plan, and we try to figure out how that plan will happen. And a lot of times, I think I said this uh, maybe a week or two ago, um, we try to get God to bless what we're doing instead of asking God, Lord, I want to do what you're blessing. There's a big difference. We can make plans. But ultimately, God is the one that orders our steps, and that's what we need to be praying for. Lord, order my steps and order my stops. Let me know when I need to uh, take a break. I was coming back from Fort Worth yesterday, and uh, I decided to stop. So as I'm driving, I'm the only one in the car, and I'm, I mean, I'm going to come through College Station coming home, and I decide you know I want to stop at a Starbucks. But I, this is a college town. There's Starbucks probably all over. I want to stop at a Starbucks. See, I'm giving you good press. I'm giving Starbucks a good press this week. I, I gave them grief a couple weeks ago, but, but good stuff now. So I decided, you know, I'm going to stop there. And so as I'm driving, I'm trying to pay attention to the road, but I'm also aware of, uh, you know, I want, to get, I want to find one that's near Highway 6, uh, which is where I was. And so I'm pretty sure I found one, and, and of course, I'm using Waze, and so it's giving me all sorts of interesting instructions. And um, so I decided to, uh, I pulled off the road, decided not to do the drive-through, went ahead and went in and uh, got behind these young ladies who uh, apparently it's their first time at Starbucks because they're like, hmm, I don't know what I want. And I mean, I'm like right behind them hoping that you'll do the polite thing and just, I know what I want, lady. I, I know what I want when I first decide where I'm going. If someone says, hey, let's go eat at this place, I'm like, I don't need to see the menu. I know what I'm going to get. So when I decided to go to Starbucks, I already knew what I was going to order. And they are in line and they're like, hmm, the creme brulee. I don't know what that means. Um, it sounds good. I don't know what brulee. Um, so and they're like going, what about the toasted white coconut? Um, but, you know, they're like customizing their drink. And I'm thinking, oh, you're killing me here. I just want some coffee so I can get back on the road. And they are taking forever. And, of course, the the uh, the lady that worked for Starbucks was incredibly kind and patient with them. And I'm like, well, good for you. Now let's move this along. Let's make this snappy, people. It's coffee. It's not complicated. Now you can go in and get so many different varieties. And, you know, um, anyway, so then... They finally order, so I'm, I, my, my app is open on the phone, tell you what I want, scan it, bing, bang, boom, let's go. And so I'm standing over there. Well, of course, because they were in front of me, then their order's prepared ahead of mine, and then they're calling their name, but they're not coming to get their drinks. And I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. And I just wanted to grab their drinks and chug them real quick, put them down, and walk out the door. But I didn't do that. <clears throat> Again, I'm not a shoplifter. So I waited for my drink, and I felt like this is taking unnecessarily too long. And I thought to myself, why didn't you do the mobile order thing? But I just never do that and until I'm in the moment, in line, thinking, oh, this is taking forever. I get back in the car. I know you're like, why is he telling the story? Here's why. I get back in the car. I get back on Highway 6. And when I get on Highway 6, Waze tells me immediately to get off. Now, Waze doesn't understand the Katy Tollway. Waze tells me to get off the Katy Tollway, get off the Katy Freeway, get right back on, get back on. I'm like, no, Waze, you don't know how this works, okay? You don't drive in Houston, you don't get off, okay? Because there's no reason. This time it told me to get off the freeway and ride the Fita Road for about two miles. And I thought, okay. And so I said, audibly, as the only one in the car, Waze, I trust you. Don't let me down. I got off the freeway, massive accident that had just happened maybe about 10 to 15 minutes before. So in that moment, sipping my coffee that took 15 long, agonizing minutes to get, I'm incredibly grateful for the steps and the stops of the Lord. Sometimes he will delay you, and as a time-oriented person, it's like agony but he'll delay you to prevent something worse from happening just down the road. We try to figure out, we have a plan, we try to figure it out, figure out things on our own, how's this going to happen, I need to have a plan, and, and, and plans are good, but run your plans by the Lord. Because we, when something uh, messes up, we try to fix it, we try to uh, do everything on our own, And what ends up happening when we try to fix things on our own? We just make more of a mess than we had to begin with. We need to remember that we're commanded to rest. We need to let God be in control. We need to trust God because it's impossible to rest if you don't. And number four, we find rest and strength in returning to his finished work. We find rest and strength in returning to his finished work. What do we what does finished work mean? Well, it means you don't have to add anything to it. It's done. It's complete. Last week in preparation for the Christmas banquet, my son Joshua and I, we put together two restaurant style high chairs. They came in pieces from a country not English-speaking. So all of the instructions were provided in picture form. And uh, so it was our task to figure out how to do it, how to put it together. Once we had finished, once we put all the screws in and we tightened every screw, we went back two and three times and just made sure everything's tight. We don't want, because, you know, babies are in here. We don't want it to be loose and, and wobbling around. They'll do that on their own. And so once we tightened the last screw, we didn't keep putting it together. It was complete. It was finished. If I kept trying to assemble something that was fully assembled, uh, you can actually cause damage to it. You could strip the screw and you can actually damage what you're trying to do. It's already finished. It's complete. I don't need to add anything else to it. It's done. So it would make as much sense for me to walk around this church carrying and continuing to assemble a high chair that was already fully assembled and complete as it would make sense for any of us to try to do something for ourselves that Christ has already done and already finished for us. There's nothing you need to add to his finished work. So rest and find strength, that the work needed for your salvation is complete. The babies can sit in here and they can go to town and they can bounce it all around because it's, it's tight and secure and finished and complete. And so it's secure for them. They don't need to, we don't need to keep working and completing and finish something that's already finished. There's nothing you need to add in order to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not a work that you can do. You can't earn your way into heaven by knocking on doors or giving more money to missions. I mean, you can try if you'd like by all means, but you don't that's not how you get into heaven. Jesus said on the cross, "It is finished." A new covenant had been established through his sacrifice. So you can rest knowing that you are sons and daughters of the most high God and that he dearly loves you. It is finished. It's complete. Zephaniah chapter 3, not a book of the Bible we often quote, but this is a a good passage for us to look at as we wind down this morning. Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 through 17, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Every day when I get home from work, they hear the lock turn, the door open, and Angela will say, Daddy's home. And it's typically the babies that scream out in joy. <clears throat> the teenagers will go, close the door. That's why we actually took the door off the hinges. <clears throat> they'll scream and they'll scream out in joy, Daddy! Daddy's home, Daddy, Daddy, you're back. You're back, Daddy. And so I'm so excited to see them every day. So I run up to them and I kiss their little faces off. And I hug them and I tickle them. And, and, you know, I'm like, give me a hug. Give me a squeeze. And so they'll squeeze, they'll squeeze. I'm glad to see them and they're glad to see me. And so there's much rejoicing when we see each other. You know, when you walk in the house and you're like, oh, you're still here. I was hoping for something different. No, that's not a good way to come home. Don't come home that way. Come home excited, because the joy you give in seeing that other person is the joy you'll receive when they see you. And so when it's bedtime, we put them down in their beds, and we have this whole routine of the bl- certain blankets go certain places, and and there's one blanket that goes around their head like a pharaoh's headdress, or I don't know why, but they just that's the way they like it, so we do it. And so we sing to them, and, and Gideon loves Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star, and, and Sam loves You Are My Sunshine. Those are their favorite songs. They ask, to sing them, they ask to sing them every night. So we sing them loudly and with lots of giggles. And, and sometimes Sam is uh, very upset. He doesn't want to go to bed, and so when we lay him down, you know, I don't know if you're Facebook friends with me. You probably saw the video from last night. Um <clears throat> Sometimes they don't want to go to sleep. And I know a lot of you may not know this about me, but in a, when I pastored a church a long time ago, I was also not only a pastor, but I was also a singer in a heavy metal band. And so they'll sometimes get the heavy metal version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or You Are My Sunshine. And what's so funny is that now they do that. So Samuel, laying down last night, totally unprompted, He's singing Daddy, Daddy, Twinkle. And I said, okay, okay. And so he starts singing, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. And what's so funny is I did that just to uh, make him laugh, and it worked. He was crying at the time, didn't want to go to sleep. Then he's laughing, and he's laughing hysterically because he thinks it's so funny. Now they do it, and they laugh, and they giggle, and it's so much fun. But some nights, they do not want to go to bed at all. Some nights, they need a little extra time, need a little extra care, a few more kisses, a few more cuddles. And Sam was going through a phase, and hopefully I think he's through it now, but he was going through a phase where he would throw a fit. He would become absolutely hysterical just to prevent himself from taking a nap. And Angela had read an article about... um, a good way to handle that, instead of just saying, "You'll go to bed, or I'll spank you," you know, "You'll stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry about." Anybody ever heard that when they were a kid? Anybody ever said that to your kid? <clears throat> well, what she said is that, or what the article said is basically just pick up, pick your child up and hug them. Now, obviously, don't suffocate them. You know, you're like, "I'm gonna hug you." You know, because Sam, uh, babies are stronger than you think, and they absolutely resist and they'll try to push away, but you just hold them, let them feel your, uh, your embrace, and uh, you can whisper, you can calmly sing to them while they're screaming, which is a challenge, I know, when they're screaming in this ear and you're trying to remain calm and, and not just, you know, be quiet. You know, if you make them pass out, does that count as putting them to sleep? No, no, it doesn't. Don't ever do that. But they might resist the hug. They might push away. They might say, you know, I don't, you know, no, 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 mommy, no, put me down. You know, I don't want to scream. I want to be angry. But hold them. And you whisper and you sing to them. And eventually, which it doesn't take long, usually, Angela would feel Sam's body. And it was always Samuel, almost always Samuel. He would relax. The screaming would stop and he would calm down. We would wipe away his tears and kiss his sweet little face and he would be all better and he would just drift off to sleep. That's what I think about when I read Zephaniah's words. He will quiet you by his love. And that leads me to uh, our last point today. Number five, his love quiets our fears. His love quiets our fears. God loves us tremendously. The word love for this in, in this verse is the Hebrew word ahava. Ahava is a beautiful word because when God loves with ahava or its Greek equivalent agape, it means unconditional love, unassailable love, everlasting love, sacrificial love, relentless love. It means that in those moments when we've lost our way, when we don't know where to turn, when we're crying and we're screaming and we're angry and we're afraid and we may not even know why, it's the kind of love that takes us. It's the kind of love that pulls us in close. It's the kind of love that holds us until we calm down so he can wipe away our tears so, he can, so, that, so that we can see the peace in his eyes and that his love demonstrates to us it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It might not turn out like we think it will, but God already knows the outcome before we even know the situation has happened. And he's not worried about it for a second. When you are loved completely and wholly, there's nothing left to say. But what about my past? God's response is, I still love you. But God, I messed up. God's response is, I know, I still love you. But, God, I'm afraid. God's response is, my perfect love casts out fear. But, God, I'm alone. God's response is, I will never, never, never leave you or forsake you. But, God, I feel so unloved and broken and damaged And God's response is, I love you with an everlasting love. With every objection, with every fear we raise, we are quieted by his love. Would you stand with me this morning? Would our worship team come up? Would our ushers grab their candles and come forward also? We conclude our service this morning with a Christmas tradition here at Friendship Church, which is a candlelighting service, and we do this every year to remind ourselves of the word of Christ from John 8:12, if I can get it not that one. John 8:12, Jesus said, "I'm the light of the world." Clearly not that one. What is happening? Matchbook, you're ruining this moment. Seriously. There we go. It's a Christmas miracle. All right, let's not burn the place down with that. John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. If you abide in me, you will not abide in darkness. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. This candle in front of me is a visual reminder of those words. When we have Jesus, we no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in his marvelous light. When your candle is lit, please light the person next to you. When all are lit, uh, we'll, we'll sing together. Actually, let's go ahead and, and we will, uh, as you're lighting your candles, we will sing this song together.